Hey, it's Andy. Every teen has their stuff they don't tell their parents about, not because they lack trust, but because they're trying to work it out on their own. As much as we wish we could be their go-to for everything, the truth is we can't always provide the objective guidance they need during these crucial years. That's where our partner, Bonfire Digital Wellness, comes in. Imagine your teen having a compassionate coach with years of experience as a high school counselor checking in weekly to support your teen's social, emotional, and academic growth, from fostering healthy habits to managing screen time and much more. The best part? It's all 100% online. Visit BonfireDW today and take advantage of a one-month free trial. That's BonfireDW.org slash Talking to Teens. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. Hey, we're here today with Thibaut Melisse talking about his book, Master Your Emotions, a practical guide to overcome negativity and better manage your feelings. Parenting a teenager involves a lot of emotions. Moodiness and emotionality are one of the main things that parents complain about with teenagers, but we can also get pretty emotional as parents too. Teenagers seem to be experts at pushing our buttons. If we want to be effective, we need to learn how to manage our emotions. It's also really helpful to have some tools to be able to help our teenagers master their own emotions as well. Thibaut is an author, coach, and founder of whatispersonaldevelopment.org. He's been featured on major personal development websites such as Lifehack, Tiny Buddha, Goalcast, and Addicted to Success. He's obsessed with self-improvement and fascinated by the power of the brain. His personal mission is to help people realize their full potential and reach higher levels of fulfillment and consciousness. He's written 20 books, including the one we're talking about today, Master Your Emotions. Thibaut, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really excited about this. You've written a few books here. We have a book here on mastering your emotions. I can't even believe uh, how many books you've written on all kinds of topics related to self-development. How did you get started doing this? And what then inspired you to write this book about emotions? I got started, I think, back in 2013 when I was uh, doing this uh, business school, like MBA in Japan. I was reading this book called The Personal MBA, and they had some recommendations and three books were on personal development. So I think it was Jim Rohn and Earl Nightingale, just kind of old, old figure in, in, in the field. Yeah. So I started listening to the audiobooks and like many, many times, it was really like interesting to me how we can actually change our life by changing you know, our behavior, our mindset, the way we think as well, which impacts our emotions. And I got started with a blog back in 2014 about personal development in English as a French. Uh, it didn't work out, <laughs> to be honest. Okay. <laughs> You know, I was kind of delusional, you know, oh, it's, I'm going to do this, it's going to be amazing. I'm going to have so much impact and I'm going to sell, you know, have millions of views and stuff like that, which didn't actually work that way in the real world. And I discovered that I could publish a book on Amazon, you know, via Kindle, like self-publishing. And I thought, yeah, maybe I can do that. And maybe I make my first dollar online, make a little bit of money would be encouraging. 
So I wrote a book on goal setting back in uh, 2015. And I got really good review, really good feedback on that. So later on, I decided to write more books and really to, to just keep writing books. Actually, Master Your Emotions was book number nine. And that's actually when I started making a little bit of money and making some income from my books. Yeah. And now I'm full-time, I'm a full-time author now. So it's really, really nice. Wow. Congratulations. And that was actually in 2018. So basically almost five years after I started the blog. Yeah. So a long time. <laughs> yeah. A little while. Yeah. You cover some really great topics. And so much of this is, I think, so relevant to parenting, relevant to teenagers. You actually have a section in here. You're talking about ego. And you have a section on parent-child relationships where you talk about how some parents' egos lead to the creation of a strong sense of attachment and identification with their children. It's based on the false belief that children are their possessions. As a result, they try to control their children's lives and use them to live the life they wanted to live when they were younger, living vicariously through their children. Wow. I think we can all relate to that. Can you talk to me a little more about that? Yeah, I, I know you would mention that. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, it's, in my opinion, a little bit, I, I don't have any children, so I would a little bit judging, but I guess if I had, I would try to make sure I'm not imposing my own dreams on them. To, oh, you have to do this. You have to be a doctor or you have to be an architect or whatever, because I didn't, or I, I was, and you have to do the same thing as me. And I think it's kind of disrespecting the individual, you know, your child as an individual who has his or her own dreams, aspirations in life. So I think it's really important to try your best, obviously, to let them live their life. Actually, I was very lucky because my parents really let me do whatever I wanted when I was uh, at university. And I was, I'm very, very grateful for that. And that's probably why I'm here today where I am, I think, part of it. When I said to my mother, I want to study English or Japanese, they say, oh, no problem, study Japanese. When I say I'm going to go to Japan, they say, yes, yeah, go to Japan for sure. So I keep doing this stuff. And I, I did business school. I, did, I wrote many books. And I would consider myself as pretty, pretty happy and pretty successful now. So I'm very grateful for that. But they never told me, you, you cannot do that. Don't do this. You have to be whatever, a doctor or something. Never happened. You say that's related to ego. Talk to me about that. What's, what does that mean? You have your own idea or identity of how you want your life to be or life to be in general. And you project that onto your child or children, right? Say, oh, this is how life is. Yeah. This is how I want life to be. So you do this to be aligned with what I think about life and how it's supposed to be. It's a question of like, are we individuals? Or are we like a collective? I think because this apply to countries like in Europe, in the US, but maybe, you know, in Asia, I think they would have a different way of thinking about children versus parents. Maybe like the children has to do typical things like you have to be a doctor or whatever. You, you have to succeed as a, as a child. Yeah. So maybe there's something, there's something cultural about it, I think as well. In my opinion, we should let the individual be, let them choose their life, you know, in some, what they want to do in their life. How do we do that? That's, that's not so hard because we just want to just help them do the right thing. It's hard to tell how much, how, when we're doing that based on our own ego. Yeah. I think I, I don't think it's easy. I think it's like ideal. Yeah. Cause a lot of stuff in the book are like a framework to think about emotions in life. And it doesn't mean like you're going to have perfect emotions and be happy all the time. It's more like, sure. Yeah. Like how to think about it and what you can do in your life to move into that direction the best you can. Yeah. But yeah. It's obviously it's, it's, it's tricky. Okay, you say that each time you lock onto a thought or hold onto an emotion, you suffer. What do you mean by that? I mean, uh, let's say 
like you're at work and your boss yells at you say, or something bad. Yeah. And you can choose to, okay, maybe I made a mistake or maybe the boss had a bad day and that's okay and you forget about it. But you can think about it, you know, on your way back home on your train, oh, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe it's, I did a mistake. I'm so bad. I'm so stupid. Why did I do that? And you keep thinking about it over and over again for like yeah. for a day or for a week. And they will do that sometimes for like decades, you know, <laughs> they kind of hold resentment of something that is kind of irrelevant for like decades. And for me, it's like ridiculous. Like, oh, I mean, move on. So what I mean by, you know, looking, you know, focusing on something so much that it becomes a problem and creates suffering in your life instead of saying, okay, yeah, I made a mistake or maybe I was wrong or and that's okay and try to move on try to not give it too much energy to your emotions or to your thought. Yeah. What makes up strong emotion? You have this kind of like three part thing. You got an interpretation plus identification plus repetition. How are those the ingredients of strong emotion? So the fir first, like you have something happening to you in the world or in your mind as well, it can be in your mind. And then you interpret it. Okay, it's raining today. I, I, was, I wanted to go on a picnic and I'm upset about it. Okay, so you interpret it as a bad thing, but it's raining. And then you keep thinking about it. No, you identify with it, second step. So, oh, it's raining. I feel bad about it. You have some emotions about it. And you keep thinking about it. Again, you know, identification, repetition. Oh, it's raining. I wanted to go on a picnic. It's so bad. I'm so unhappy. I was looking forward to this situation, to this event for a long time. And you repeat that again and again. It becomes like this kind of huge emotion out of, like in this case, out of, I would say, not, not a big deal, right? But it works for anything. It's just a process. Like you have something happening to you. You give you a meaning bad or good, then you identify, I feel a certain way about this meaning I gave to this event. And then I thought, I think about it again and again during the day in my mind, or I talked about it, I make it a big thing in my life and become a strong emotion. So I, let's go back to the example of the boss, you know, yelling at you, right? Yeah. You think about it in the back on your way home, in a train, you talk to it with your partner or whatever, your friends and you're like, oh, this happens to me. I'm so stupid. I feel bad about myself. What if I get fired? And whatever, it can even escalate to you know, ridiculous things sometimes. So that's a process I think of, I, I explained in the book about uh, how do you create a strong emotion, bad or good. You know? But then there's a lot of factors that go into that. Because then you're also talking about labeling emotions and even something simple like uh, we say things like, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm depressed. Yeah. You point out that like identifying yourself as being the emotion yeah. and maybe kind of changing your language a little bit would be helpful. It'd be more accurate to say, I feel sad or I experience a feeling of sadness. Why is that? That's the second step, identification. So if you say I am, no, I am is very powerful words. You know, you say I am sad. It's very powerful. You, you give yourself the identity of sad, you know, I am sad. It's who I am. It's not, it's just, doesn't, doesn't make sense because you cannot be sad. I, I say in the book, like, who you are, your essence of who you are cannot be sad, you know. You're not sad all the time in your life, you know. If you look in the past, if you look in, right. maybe you watch a movie and you're, you're laughing and you're so happy for a while, even five minutes, and then you get back to being depressed. But that's just an example that you cannot be sad. It's not who you are. It doesn't make sense. So if you say instead, okay, I feel a little bit, you know, maybe sad or depressed right now, it's okay. If you talk to yourself that way, just change the thing. You have less, give less power to that emotion or like to the event, or the meaning you give to the event. It has less power. So that's what I mean by, you know, I am. It's very powerful, both in the good way and bad way, if you use it, you know, in a negative way. Yeah. And so what do you think you would recommend when we hear our teenagers saying things like that? They're like, oh, I'm so devastated. Uh, my life is over. The most terrible thing happened to me today. 
So instead of using I am, you say use like okay, describe how do you how do you feel actually about it? How do you feel? And say okay, this is this is how you feel right now. Last week you felt happy, right? Or you know, so make them realize it's it's not something that is set in stone forever. Because when you are in a bad mood, we tend to believe that the emotion is going to stay forever. You know, I will never get out yeah. of this depression. And it's so right. powerful. It's very it's very hard to get out of that. So yeah. the more aware we are of that, of we understand that, we practice. The, the more power we have over our emotions to not get them, you know, control our life. And even in my own life, I can see, you know, okay, I feel a little bit sad right now. I feel, you know, I, not I am, I feel sad. <laughs> and okay, it's okay. And I notice that and I, I take action to make sure I'm not getting into this really dark place. So I kind of have tools to help, you know, what I mentioned in the book to help me do that. And I think once you know that, you understand that you can really help you prevent going to, you know, going dark, going in, in depression, maybe, you know, in many cases. I think it's very important to understand that there. Yeah, it's like an easy little sort of like a way to catch yourself. You find yourself thinking just like, oh, I'm so mad at my teenager. Yeah. Maybe you can kind of just check yourself or yeah. you rephrase that to yourself and say, well, no, I feel angry. And that's okay. You know, yeah. I like the that's okay thing. You know, I would say that to myself, you know, oh, okay. I'm... Yeah, giving yourself permission. Even, you know, you can even call your own name. And that's, that comes back to a point I wanted to talk about today as well. All, I'll talk about it all the time. It's like self-compassion. It's really, really powerful. Like, you know, because people think they have these kind of misconceptions about self-compassion. They're like, oh, yeah, if I'm too nice to myself, I would be become complacent. I would become lazy. I wouldn't be productive. Yeah. And I would be... Right. And that's actually not true. That's not true at all. Like, uh, you can test. I mean, I, I've done it for five years now. It is not true. Okay. I've written 20 books in five years now. And I was always like, okay, it's okay. Talk to myself, oh, you fade here, it's not a big deal, it's okay, Thibault, you'll do better next time. And I almost never, you know, never insult myself. You know? I try not to disrespect myself. I wouldn't say I'm stupid. I've stopped saying that for years, years ago, you know. I say, oh, it's okay, made a mistake, no big deal. And that's really make a difference. It is, it's very not that hard to implement, you know, in your life. You have to be aware a little bit, but okay. You practice changing your self-talk. Oh, I feel sad, but it's okay. I feel better tomorrow, maybe. It's kind of small words that you took you tell yourself are very important yeah because also i think then we sort of get frustrated with ourselves for being angry like i shouldn't feel yeah. mad <laughs> at my kid like is that, i'm a bad parent like I, why do i why do i feel like this i'm just i need to stop feeling that way um and yeah and you you, you escalate like you you like you know like you angry at yourself for being angry it's like doesn't make yeah. sense <laughs> <laughs> It's like, okay, I'm angry. It's okay. It's, it happens, you know, I'm angry. Very powerful. And also, like, if you can use self-compassion in your life, like, anything which, I mean, even in terms of productivity or, you know, happiness, you will be more productive. It sounds very, like, counterintuitive. But if you're actually nice to yourself, loving, caring, you encourage yourself every time as much as you can, like a coach, you know. You know, you don't want someone, hire a coach to yell at you all the time, I think. It's not really good. But if you say to yourself, oh, I can do better next time. I, I'll do better. That's okay. talk in the book about problems and i think that's really relatable because parents we we have a lot of problems with our teenagers what's interesting i found in your book is you say that problems don't exist yeah yeah it's again it's a big you know big claim like probably not exist but oh i think some parents would like to differ yeah i'm sure yeah yeah so <laughs> I what i what i what i mean by that is if you look at the reality the world outside of human beings and their thinking process and you know, their emotions like the world itself doesn't have problem you know it's like the earth doesn't care about, about X, Y, or Z. 
the world doesn't have problems because it doesn't think that way. It just reality is, and you can argue against reality. So I don't like this, but still reality is like, yeah, so it's just reality. It is. I mean, you cannot deny reality, but I mean, no, something is happening. It is real. It is here. And it's, if you say it should be a different way, why? I mean, it is. It, it has to be a different way. It, it would be a different way in reality, but it's not. Yeah, but when your kid gets an F in biology, that's a problem. Yeah, 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 sure, yeah, yeah sure. Right? When you find a vaporizer <laughs> in your kid's backpack, that's a huge problem. Yeah. And when your 12-year-old daughter has a boyfriend, that is a <laughs> yeah. huge problem. Yeah, so what I mean and what I want people to understand is that there is no problem in the reality. And then, so we accept the situation first, but, then, but at the point, you accept what is real instead of denying, okay, this is real. My, my boy has other F or something. This is a reality. And now I accept it. And now what do I do about it? You know, how do I react to it? Instead of denying it or being angry, okay, this is a reality. I cannot undo that probably, you know, unless you go talk to the teacher. Maybe. <laughs> 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 you, you accept a reality and say, okay, what, what, what am I going to do about it now? What can I do about it in, in a real world? with my real action, not in my fantasy or like dream world, no, or ideal world. So he's accepting reality as it is. Yeah. And that's something we can also coach teenagers through when they're like ruminating on things or yeah. caught up and repeating negative thoughts about some problem that they're having in their lives, kind of maybe coaching them a little bit on taking a step back from that. Yeah. You can say, okay, look, what's the fact here? How would you describe the situation? You know, and maybe they can describe in a more factual way and they'd be like, okay, this is not that bad or Maybe they have a different perspective. I got an F. That's a fact. It's a huge problem. It's now I'm going to fail the class. I'm not going to get into college. My life is ruined. Yeah, so it's a fact. Now, what, do you do, what can you do about How can we improve the situation? You know? What are we going to do about it? What can we do together? And talk about it. Yeah, that's a yeah, reality. So what do you think... Uh, is so important about recording your emotions. You have a whole chapter on this. You say, I invite you to record your emotions for an entire week. One of the best ways to, to really improve your emotional state is to have more self-awareness. I mean, self-awareness is everything in life. Like emotions, success, everything. You have to be self-aware. Yeah. You have to know yourself and how you feel and how you act and why you act that way, why you feel that way and all this stuff. That's very important. So that's part of it. You record your emotions. How did I feel today? Okay, I feel that way. Why did I feel that way? What happens? What are the facts? And again, what are the facts? I submit a report at work and, and my, my, my boss yelled at me. That's a fact. There's no emotions. Okay, how did I react? Or oh, I feel depressed or angry or stuff like that. So really, and when you do that, you train your mind to, to reframe the way you perceive emotions. Mm -hmm. And also to be aware of more and more emotions in your life. You know? And the more self-aware you are, the more power you have to change your, your inner self-talk and to shift. For, okay. Take a step back on that emotion. Oh, okay, I feel a little bit sad. That's okay. Because we want to create space between the emotion and, and the time between the emotion and how you act. You know? Because most people do not have that yeah. space. Yeah. So they, they are angry. They yell. You know? It's like automatic reply. Yeah. You, you, yeah, need, you right. need to have time. You need, you need to be able to have space. Even if it's one second, two seconds. Right. Or less, you just have time to have a chance to change your behavior and your talk as well. And how you react. That's why recording emotions give you self-awareness. And it will help you in, later in many situations. I love that. So walk me through that. I'm just going to carry around like a little notebook or something and yeah. write down every emotion I, I feel. You can buy stuff like I think they have mood journals or even like trackers, apps on phones. You can probably buy, look, look at this stuff. You can do it with just a notebook and write down, you know, okay, how did I feel today on a scale of one to 10? What happens? If you feel bad, what happens? Exactly. What are the facts? 
how did I react? What could I have done differently in that situation? Because then you train your mind to react differently next time. You know, because okay, okay, this is this happening. It happened before, so now I reacted that way. It wasn't good, so I'm going to react that way instead. You know? yep. <laughs> so you can change the course of action. Yeah. So you can do that. Yeah? You don't have to do it every day. It's just up to you, like how much you want to, you know, master your emotions or improve your emotional state. But yeah, you can do that definitely. Yeah, just a little bit. The point is not to overwhelm people with you know, thousands of exercises and they have to spend hours a day. No, it's just, you know, do your best, do what you can. And if you read the book, then do what resonates with you. There's many, like, many stuff in the book you can do as exercises. There's a workbook as well, so they can use that for sure. Uh, yeah, I noticed at the back, there's a whole um, the workbook just included right here in the back of the book that has all kinds of fill yeah. in the blanks and questions you can do to help you master your emotions. Yeah, there's also like a separate workbook. Like if they want to buy, have it separately and write, have more space to write, they can do that as well. We're here with Thibaut Maurice talking about how to master our emotions. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. The worst thing is like not caring about anything. It's like uh, people who have the fear of, you know, like imposter syndrome, a fear of not being good enough. But the reason why they feel that way, I think, is because they actually care about who they are and what they're doing in the world. It's actually a very good thing. If you feel like you're not good enough, or you're an imposter, it's a really, really good sign. And that you need to understand that, oh, it's a good thing. I do care about what I'm doing in the world. It's a good thing that I feel pressure or I feel like some you know, stress about that. So really, we have certain vision of reality, a certain story. And when something happens that is, goes against it, we don't like it. You know, like if I'm telling you, oh, you're so lazy and you, you already believe that. So if you believe you should work harder and I'm telling you you're lazy, you're going to get, you know, defensive. You feel like you already believe you're not working harder, hard enough. And I'm telling you, yeah, you're not working hard enough. So you don't like it, you know, because you might be working hard, truth is, but you believe that you're not working hard enough, maybe. So that's one thing. When you believe something that is true or not, and someone tells you, yeah, you're right. Like you believe something negative about yourself and tell you, yeah, you're right. You're lazy. That's, that's triggering. You know, it's, ah, I don't want you to tell me that. I already know it. And I, or I think I know it. And one more thing might be, might be attached to a belief like, you know, religion or political beliefs are very, you know, very, you can get very defensive huh, when you have this kind of belief. If you strongly believe in anything, basically, the more you believe into something strongly, the more defensive you tend to be in general, you know. So we believe that we are the most important person in the world, which is okay, you know, because we always with us all the time. So we tend to project that and believe that people think we are super important or that people notice every action we take, every post we, you know, we have on Instagram or whatever. But reality is people are too busy worrying about themselves to care about you. That's a reality. So first, if you understand that a little bit more, like, okay, yeah, I think about it a little bit. Yeah, they don't really care. They don't have time. They are too worried about themselves because you are too, right? We are too worried about ourselves. So that's the same thing for everybody else. And I find it useful to me to realize that nobody noticed everything I'm doing online, or, you know, because now I'm online, you know, posting videos and books and stuff like that. And I, yeah, nobody really noticed, you know. Even if I were to sell 100 million books, for instance, I think people would still don't know who I am, you know, probably. Must, right. Nobody would care that much. Like, do you know, like, uh, Paulo Coelho, maybe, like, the, the guy who wrote The Alchemist? Yeah. I think he sold, like, 200 million books worldwide, but... Wow. If you see in the street, nobody knows who he is, I think. He's like, a, like, no a, like an old guy. Yeah. Right, right. No, like, so let's, let's just tell you that you have a lot of room to express yourself before people actually care about you. First, that's the first thing to understand. <laughs> Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.